It's one of my favorite hymns. I've shared the story of that hymn before, but I think it's worth repeating. John Fawcett, in 1782, he was in his early 40s, and he was preaching at a church in northern England, a very tiny church, and he and his wife had a very uh, meager salary there uh, in that little town. Uh, But then he got the call in his early 40s to go to the big city of London and to preach there, and he took the job. And so he loaded the wagon with all of their belongings, and as they took off, uh, the church, the little tiny church there surrounded their wagon, not to stop them, uh, but to give them gifts and to share some final goodbyes and some tears. Uh, These are people with whom they had shared life together. These were people who were in their homes, and they were in their homes. These are people who had cried with one another. They had served together. And as the wagon started on its way, John's wife, with tears in her eyes, turned to her husband and said, I cannot leave. I know not how to go. And John said, I feel the same way. So they turned the wagon around and headed back to that church and never looked back. And it's out of that song where John penned the words that we just have sung together. And that's, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Brothers and sisters, that's what church is all about. That's what has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. A new community. A new family whose hearts are knit together in love. That's the kind of church that we are always seeking to grow into here at Brentwood Oaks. So we look around us. We have several missing, especially right here in this section. But we're a big church. And there are advantages and there are disadvantages to being a big church. One of the disadvantages is that we have to work extra hard to forge the kinds of friendships and the kinds of bonds that are so strong that it hurts when we are asunder part. In essence, the goal is to make the church stronger. I've thought for years of writing a book called How to Shrink Your Church. I'm not sure how that would sell. But I'm not talking about numbers. We want to grow numerically. But I'm talking about having that kind of small church family, something that we treasure here at Brentwood Oaks, something that we seek to grow into always. And yet we look around us, we look in our backyard, we look at the 78758 zip code, and we see that there are many people who don't have a family. Uh, They are isolated, they're hurting. There are people in our midst who are caught up in the confusion and the chaos of this world brought about by sin, individual sin and societal sin. And they need a place to belong. They need a seat at the Lord's table. What they need is a family. And our love for one another is that invitation that we send out to the people in our midst. This is part of our calling to bring people to faith. It's what we have focused on the last month. What does it mean to bring people to faith? What does it mean to bring people to 
allegiance. Well, we've received our marching orders from Christ there in the mountain of Galilee. Uh, The marching orders to go out, to make disciples in our going and in our baptizing and in our teaching. But bringing people to faith is so much more than teaching. It's so much more than even sharing a testimony. Bringing people to faith is about entering into the messiness of life amongst our neighbors. It's going out and giving these living sermons, carrying the aroma of Christ in our hearts, meeting our neighbors where they are, not within these walls, but within their walls. We get a beautiful picture of this throughout Scripture, but one of the places I want to camp out is where we started last week, and that is in the book of Ruth. So if you want to turn to Ruth chapter 1, Ruth, the tiny book between Judges and 1 Samuel, we're going to pick up the story about two women who were knit together in love. And out of the tragedy of death, one widow finds connection with her her daughter-in-law, who recently is widowed. And I believe what we have in Ruth is a a portrait of not only the church, but also of the mission to bring people to faith. So let's pick up the story in Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. This follows the death of Naomi's husband and two sons. They had gone to Moab because of a famine. And it's a tragedy. So let's hear the word of God. Verse 6. Then she arose, Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. and They went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of, your, of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her daughter, her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. May God bless the reading and hearing of His Word. In October of 2016, a cross-country runner from Boston College named Madeline Adams was competing in the ACC championship. But then something happened to her 50 yards from the finish line, something that happens to runners at various times under certain conditions. Madeline and Adams' legs gave out during the running of this race due to heat exhaustion. And for those of you who have experienced that, when your legs give out and when your legs begin to cramp, you know that's it. The body can do no more. There is no well from which the body can draw energy. In fact, it's actually dangerous to keep going. Your body is telling you something. Your body is trying to protect you from doing harm. So what do you do as a runner when your legs give out so close to the finish line? What do you do in life when your legs give out close to the finish line? We have a good picture of this phenomenon in the story of Naomi there at the beginning of the book of Ruth. I mean, the race had been hard enough already with the famine that had hit Bethlehem, the house of bread. And moving to a foreign land with foreign gods, foreign customs had to be a lot of, there had to be a lot of disorientation. There also had to be a lot of shame. Going to Moab, of all places, Moab... But beggars can't be choosers. But at least she had her husband and her two sons to go through this difficult transition. But then the race gets exceedingly difficult when she loses her husband and she loses her two sons. So in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi's legs give out. You could hear it in her words when she's talking to her daughters-in-law and later on to the people in Bethlehem. This is pure lament. She doesn't hold back. God did this to me, she says. Have you ever heard someone try to work out their theology about God in the midst of pain, in the midst of trial? It's usually not a pretty thing. The things that are said in disorientation are often not the most accurate things said about God. Uh, that's why we have to be careful when we read the laments and take them into ourselves. 
We have to be careful not to build our theology out of someone's groanings in the fires of trial. I think Naomi's words are a good example to us of this. She's having a Job-like experience. Listen to what she says in verse 13 again in telling her daughters-in-law Orpah and Ruth to go home. No, my daughters, it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. God is against me, she says. And then when she comes home in verse 20 to Bethlehem, she has a new name. Naomi means pleasant. But now she tells the townspeople, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Verse 20, for the Almighty, and notice that she uses the word Almighty, the name Almighty. She's appealing to the one who is powerful, the one who holds her circumstances, the one who could change her circumstances. But Naomi says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like someone who is shutting down at the end of the race. That sounds like someone whose legs are going out. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that place? Have you ever been to the place where the trial is overwhelming? When the pain is too much? When the loss is too great? When the sorrow is too close to home? When the bitterness is raw? And you try to pick yourself up, and there's no well to draw from. Have you ever felt a bitterness toward God? And what do we do with that? Well, we lament. That's kind of a lost language in the church, lament. It's a little too messy for a Sunday morning crying out to God, honest complaint. And yet this is where the laments and the psalms and even the heart-wrenching words of Naomi become helpful to us. Not that we build a theology from these words, these inspired words, no doubt. As if Naomi's accusations against God tell us how God works or how God relates to us. I don't believe for a second that God had it out for Naomi. I don't believe that God put a big target on her and said, I'm going to single her out and I'm going to work against her. That doesn't line up with the God revealed in Scripture. Could God have intervened and prevented the death of her husband and two sons? Absolutely. Why did God not intervene? We're not allowed to know. And frankly, the narrator of the book of Ruth doesn't seem too interested in that question. But it's in the transformation of the woman named Pleasant to the woman named Bitter where really we find a gift for the church because what we find is an example of honest speech to God 
Even with what Naomi says about God working against her, if you notice, God does not strike her down with a lightning bolt. God actually gives her the space to lament in a moment when her legs had given out in the race. That's who our God is. I've been more honest in my prayers over the last few years. Uh, There have been moments when I've carried bitterness, doubts, frustration, anger. In the past, I would have buried those feelings deep down and said, no, 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 that's not the right way to think. But I've changed my prayers over the last few years. My prayer to God has been, you're the one who searches hearts and minds. You know what's in here. I don't know what to do with this. But I'm going to give it to you. I can't handle this. But I know you can. I think it's better to be honest. I think God wants to hear honesty. And it's been modeled for us throughout Scripture. One of the things that I've been reading over the last few years, and it's come out on sermons before, I've talked about this, is what's called the dark night of the soul. Uh, We say that when someone is going through a difficulty and a, a loss, they're experiencing the dark night of the soul, they feel isolated, they feel lonely. Even worse, they feel abandoned by God. God is absent, so they think. But in reading about the dark night of the soul, uh, God may be silent there in the wilderness, but God is anything but absent. Uh, The dark night of the soul is more about God's obscurity. Uh, As believers, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And we're called to trust. And we trust that The God whom we call upon, the God whom we serve, is not the God that Naomi envisions in the fires of trial, the God who has it out for her. But instead, we serve the God of the cross. And for Naomi, who changed her name to Bitter, God was far from absent in her life. In fact, God was already answering her prayer. God was already moving the pieces in her lament in the person of Ruth. Did you notice what happened in verse 9 and verse 14? The women had gathered together and they raised their voices. And they wept. Orpah and Ruth, they carried their own grief. They carried their own pain and yet they entered into the suffering of Naomi. This woman who had lost her legs in the race. And couldn't take another step. And even though Naomi feels abandoned. Even though she feels like she's coming home to Bethlehem empty. God was already filling her life. God was already giving her a new trajectory in life. God had given her a companion to walk alongside her. God had given her Ruth. And when you take a step back and read the whole story of the book of Ruth, what you discover is that that journey that Naomi took back to Bethlehem was not just a journey back to Bethlehem. 
It was not just a journey back to her native people. It was a journey back to God. It was a journey back home. It was a journey that she could have made without a loyal companion who held her up when she could not take another step in the bitterness of grief and loss. You know, there are three types of videos that really get to me. Four, if you count Rocky Balboa going the distance against Apollo Creed. Well, five, if you count the great charge of the riders of Rohan at the Pelennor Fields in the Return of the King. I'll focus on three. When the eyes begin to water and you have to blame it on allergies. One type of video is when they turn on those cochlear implants, whether it's a child or an adult, and they hear for the first time. Don't send me those, please. Another type of video is when the military father comes home to his wife and kids and he surprises them. He's in a disguise. The third type of video is when a runner helps another runner in a race. Especially in a race that's hard. This happened to Madeline Adams. She was almost to the finish line when her legs gave out and she collapsed from exhaustion. She had spent every ounce of energy that she could muster and she fell to the ground. But in that cross-country race in the ACC championship, there were some runners who came up behind her. Uh, One runner was from Clemson. Larry Bailey would be proud of that. The other one was from Louisville. And they did something illegal. You're not supposed to do this in a race, in a championship race. But these two runners did something that I think speaks not only to the book of Ruth, but also to our mission here at Brentwood Oaks to bring people to faith. These two runners gave up their position in the race, one on Madeline's left, the other on the right. And they, in a sense, entered into her pain. I mean, this was the end of the race. They were all exhausted. They were all on their last leg. And yet, they took the burden on their shoulders. And they carried her across the finish line. Now, on that day, these runners did not win the race. They didn't even come close. Madeline was disqualified. The other two finished almost in last place as several runners passed them as they carried Madeline across the finish line. But my question this morning is, did they really lose the race? I'll let you be the judge of that. We are a people devoted to bringing people to faith here at Brentwood Oaks. And bringing people to faith is about joining someone's journey to God. God is the mover. God is the connector. God is the one who is drawing people to himself, people who feel abandoned, people who are isolated, people who are invisible. As we talked about last week, people who are disoriented. People who have lost their legs in the race. 
But we as the church enter into the grief and into the suffering of the world, extending a hand, extending support, extending a shoulder, extending an invitation for people who need to find their God even though God is not far from them. And it's our hope that our neighbors will see Jesus Christ through us here at Brentwood. This begins with our love for God and our love for one another. But it also begins with the eyes to see and the hands and the feet that are ready for action. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ continue to inspire us as we look out for the invisibles, as we touch the untouchable, as we join in with the rescue mission as a people who have been rescued. If you'd like to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.